Good morning. We'll do this on every one of the holiday weekends in the summer. So July 4th, we'll be back out here again, and then Labor Day as well. Yeah, afterwards, stick around for hot dogs and, and the Roaring Twenties ice cream truck is there. They're ready for you. And so the hot dogs are free, the chips are free, the water's free, the ice cream's not. I hope you're planning on a great Memorial Day weekend, remembering those uh, that paid the uh, price for, uh, for our freedom as Joel prayed. So we're starting today in John chapter 1, the prologue, which is just the first 18 verses. Some have said this is the most uh, uh, theological, the most uh, uh, powerful words in the New Testament. I suppose that can be debated, but, it's, but it really is a powerful, powerful passage that John kicks us off with in John chapter 1. And if you turn there, you'll, you'll see that he begins this way. In the beginning... John, unlike like Luke and Matthew, they don't, he doesn't trace Jesus back to Bethlehem, not just with shepherds and wise men and a star up in the sky. John goes all the way back to the very, 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 very beginning. In the beginning was the word. Notice that word is capitalized W. If you go in the back of the journal, there's a page actually that talks about this passage, John chapter 1. I think it's on page 74. And you can read some of the more theological undertones to what we're talking about today. But John chapter 4, in the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What an opening sentence. There's 17 words in there. We could spend, honestly, the whole summer on those 17 words that are in that, just that first word, verse. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness is not overcoming. We know that the world is a dark place, right? It was demonstrated again to us this week. If you needed a reminder, there's evil in this world. And our world desperately needs Jesus. You, me, everyone needs Jesus. John will use these words a lot. We're going to run over these all summer long. He uses key words like light. He uses that 42 times. Life, he uses that 36 times. He talks a lot about grace and, and truth throughout this. And light is always opposed to the darkness. He goes on to say, verse 6, There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness testifying concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to that light. Verse 9, that true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, though the world did not, and though the, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, back, you remember, in the beginning, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. Yet to all who did receive him, this is a powerful verse, are you ready? To all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of nature, of natural descent, or of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Don't you love that? To all who, who receive him. And it's, you just have to receive Jesus. To all who believe in him. If this is your first time here, if you have never been a part of a church service, but here you are today, out in a parking lot, you can receive Jesus Christ. All it takes is believe in him. Just receive Jesus, believe who, that he is who he says he is. Who is he? 
the Word, the, the Son of God, was with God in the beginning. And if you believe in Him, He will come into your heart and you can be called the sons of God. True life, true meaning, true hope, true, true help, true future is all you Christ. Then verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We use this passage in a sermon series in 2020 for Christmas. You may remember it. We had, we had billboards on I-75 and I-69. And one of the billboards said, uh, in 14, Eugene Peterson's translation said, the word became flesh. That was one billboard. And then the next billboard was his translation of it. Not, and he made his dwelling among us, but he moved into the neighborhood. Do you remember that? And when we did that series, we talked about uh, uh, what does it mean for Jesus to move into the neighborhood? And we were really asking who exactly is moving into the neighborhood. And we talked about how, how uh, Jesus is Messiah, Jesus is Savior, Jesus is God, Jesus is King. Hold on to that. We're going to circle back around to that verse because it's such a powerful one. Made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. What does that mean? Full of grace and truth. I, I think when I think of that, grace means I'm going to love you no matter what. No matter what's going on, I'm going to love you. Sometimes we get grace and mercy mixed up a little bit. We think of them as synonymous. They're not synonymous. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. What do we deserve? Well, the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. And... and, and and so what we deserve is death. What we deserve is, is that. That's what we deserve. But grace is getting what we do not deserve. So mercy, not getting what you do deserve. Grace, getting what you don't deserve. Does that make sense? I need God's grace. I need his pervenient grace. The grace that goes before me, that chases after me. When I'm running totally far away from God, I need that pervenient grace. I need his saving grace. That's what we just talked about, that Jesus Christ will come into our heart and come into our life and he can wash all our sins away, that amazing grace that we sing about. But I need his, his sustaining grace. Sometimes when I don't think I can make it another day, it's Jesus who gets me through that day. I need his empowering grace. I can't do things on my own. I need him to help me every single solitary day. I need his discerning grace to help me to, to discern what's right and wrong and the answers to give. And I need his sanctifying grace to make me holy and more and more like Jesus. I need his grace more and more. It's not a one-time deal, bump your head on the altar and done, you've got all the grace you need. No, I need his grace every single day. Are you kidding me? And Jesus said that he came full of grace and full of truth. And full of grace means I'm going to love you no matter what. Full of truth means I'm going to be honest with you no matter what. And John, again, he'll use these terms, grace and truth, throughout the, his book. And we're going to stumble on them through, as we journey through there this summer. But truth means I can be true to what God's word says. Truth means that he can be, will be honest, that we don't have to, 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 to put that on the back seat or, or anything like that. Truth means there's no wavering, no swaying with the changing winds of culture, no, no, no pandering in the pools of popularity, no meandering in the maze of mediocrity. It means that... that Truth means that I will not give up or let up or shut up until I've prayed up, stayed up, paid up, preached up, 
taught up, done whatever it takes to let our world know about this Jesus that we've been talking about and that we'll be discovering all summer long. It means, truth means, if I'm going to love you no matter what, grace, full of truth means I'm going to be honest with you no matter what, that means I don't have to, when I'm presenting truth, it's not, I'm going to, you know, I may step on your toes, but I'm not going to stomp on your toes. Does that make sense? It means I'm going to love you. Even as I'm being honest with you and truthful with you, we don't have to give up the truth of the Bible in order to love people. We can love people and still stand for what is true. It's not an either ordeal, it's a both and. Does that make sense? That's what Jesus said. He came full of truth. I'm going to be honest with you, full of grace. I'm going to love you no matter what. Let's read on. Verse 15. John testified concerning him, and he cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke of when I said, He who comes after me surpasses me because he was before me. Remember, in the beginning was the word. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God but the one and only Son, who himself is God and is the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. In other words, John is saying it's all about Jesus. Again, that's what we're going to be talking about all summer long. It's discovering Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You want to know uh, how God thinks? Look to Jesus. You want to know how, how God responds? Look how Jesus responded. When we pray, we pray to Jesus. When we, when we say we want to, to grow closer to God, it's becoming more and more like Jesus. That's what it's all about. The key component in one of our strategies of the church is growing together. And one of the key components of growing together is taking Jesus' message seriously. And that's what we're going to be doing all summer long as we're in the Gospel of John, discovering Jesus, taking his message seriously. That's why we want you to be in these books to read it, to digest it, to dig into it, to really, to before the sermon, you know, all right, so I'm preaching from 1, 1 to 118 this week. Next week is Pentecost, and we'll be in from 119 through the rest of chapter 2. And you can read all that. We want you to read it, dig it, get, get into it. Well, let's circle back to that one verse that I just can't get away from. Verse 14, the word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. What if Jesus did that? What if Jesus bought one of these houses on Bristolwood? And Jesus himself, not, again, not the sermon series that we did a year and a half ago talking about the attributes of Jesus. Let's assume we already know who Jesus is, right? Friend of sinners, loves everybody. Uh, um, the, the one who preached to thousands and heal, or fed thousands and healed hundreds and raised at least three people from the dead. What if that Jesus moved on that street? How would that be? What difference would that make? I asked my home group uh, this week that question. I said, what would happen if Jesus moved on your street? And some of the answers made me squirm a little bit. Somebody said, somebody said well, well, how would I know if Jesus moved on the street? And he went on, really, uh, to, to expand on that. You know, we drive into our driveway, and we hit the button for our garage door to go up, and the garage door goes up, and we pull our car in the garage, and we hit the button, and the garage door goes down, and we're in our house. And then the next day, when we go to work, we go in our garage, and we hit the door, the, the, the button, and the garage door goes up, and we get in our car, and we go, and we hit the garage door, and the door goes down, and we drive down the street, and we, maybe we look at our neighbor's house and say, man, 
they better mow that lawn. I'm going to get ready to call the city in a loving sort of way. Man, look at all those dandelions in that guy's yard. Doesn't he know anything about weed and feed? And we come home from work and we hit the garage door open and it goes up and we pull our garage door in and close the door. And we, how would we know if Jesus moved in? You know, Jesus is the one that said, love your neighbors. Do you think that means we need to know our neighbors? I mean, how, how are we going to love our neighbors if we don't know our neighbors? Does that make sense? Carla and Lisa are much better at this than me. We'll go for a walk, you know, and, and we'll talk to people along the way. But how are we going to... Our culture has shifted. We used to know our neighbors. You know, it used to be that the, the front porches were really big and you sat on the front porch and people knew who was around them. And, and now the front porches, if you've noticed, they're, they're really small and you hang out in the backyard where it's just you. But it used to be you'd know your neighbors. When I was going to think of your house, where you're living right now, like on a, on a tic-tac-toe board, and your house is the middle square, the Paul Lynn Square, if you remember Hollywood Squares, for you old-timers. Uh, so your house is the middle square. Do you know the eight other houses around you? Do you know the people who live in those eight houses? I did when I was a kid, I'll tell you that. The Wozniak lived up in the top left corner. Their, their son, Dwayne, was friends with my brother. The Tiesmeyers, they, they fixed my car when it was broken down. The Frost, their kids were older, and I thought they were kind of snooty-tooty. Uh, right next door were the Betchers, uh, Mrs. Be the. Mr. Mrs. Betcher, the first Mrs. Betcher, was a dear, saintly woman. She loved us kids. She loved everybody. She was a wonderful, wonderful Christian lady. She got cancer and died. And Mr. Betcher married the new Mrs. Betcher. And she was more snooty than the frost across the street. I'll tell you that. She, she had blue hair. And she told us she was from some family. Who knows? And then behind them, I couldn't remember their names behind them. Actually, they had a double lot, so they didn't really live behind them. The only thing I remember about that guy is he was bragging to my dad that he could eat hot peppers, any hot pepper. And my dad gave him a hot pepper, and he ate it. And that guy turned purple, and I don't think he talked much to my dad after that. <laughs> behind our house were the Carls. I've talked to them about them before. They were the meanest people on the whole block. They were behind us. And then over a kitty corner from us were the Evans. We had a party line. Does anybody remember party lines? We had a party line with the Evans. And so my brother said, I told my brother this week that I was going to talk about the party line with the Evans. And he said, people, young people won't remember party lines. I said, Fred, young people won't remember dial tones. You know, ee, before. You don't have dial tones. Anyway, so we, you'd pick up the phone. And if you didn't hear the, ee, then you'd hear Mrs. Evans. It was always, she was a talker. And man, oh man, you would listen in. I could listen in on the, that was a big no-no. That was a, that was a whoop, whoop no-no. You do not, you do not eavesdrop on Mrs. Evans. But I, I was talking about it to my brother, how I would eavesdrop, get in big trouble. He said, I got in big trouble eavesdropping on Mrs. Evans. That was just a thing to do. We didn't have a lot of entertainment in those days. Next door neighbors were the Creasons. First we had them, uh, Kathy Creason. She ran out in the, in the road one day, got hit by a car, just broke her arm. That's all that happened. They moved shortly after that. Then the Bylos moved in. They were... Do you know the eight people that live closest to you? Can you talk about, think, not just know their names, not just what kind of car they drive, but do you know them? Pastor, I don't, I don't have people. I live on a cul-de-sac. I live on a cul-de-sac too. Listen, I'm preaching myself. I can't name all the people in my cul-de-sac. I tell you what kind of car they drive. How about, how about this? 
what if we made it our goal to know the people that live around us? What if we made it our goal? If Jesus moved into the neighborhood, well, Jesus would love people, and I think that means he would know people. What if we made it our goal that we're going to pray for the people that live around us? Pray for the people that, that, that the Lord would open up a door so you could get to know them. Maybe even, ha, huh, how about this? What if you invited them for a cookout sometime this summer? We did that, we did that uh, uh, in Kansas. We invited all the people we knew to our house in our neighborhood that we, that, that, that we had met on in our neighborhood to a cookout uh, in our backyard. And we said it was going to be B-Y-O-S-D, bring your own side dish. And, and so we said we would provide the meat and the pop. And Ben, he was probably about 11, 12 years old at the time. And he said, Dad, 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 what if they, what if, because we knew some of our neighbors, you know, they, they, they smoked all the time, they drank all everything. Dad, what if, they, what if they smoke in our backyard? What if they bring beer and drink in our backyard? What are we going to do then? I said, well, Ben, if that happens, you know what we're going to do? We're going to love our neighbors. And when they're gone, we're going to sweep up the cigarette butts and we're going to throw the, the, the beer cans away. Wouldn't that be all right? What if we got to know our neighbors? Even just pray for them. Do you think our world would be better if, if we got to know them and started praying for them and maybe even invited them over? What, what would happen if Jesus moved on Bristolwood? Someone said if Jesus moved in on Bristolwood, there'd be a line. They knew if the word got out that Jesus moved in on Bristolwood, there'd be a line of people wanting to get healed. There'd be a traffic jam. Or, or maybe everyone's going there for a free bread and fish lunch. We got hot dogs today. Maybe we should have had fish. That would have been... No, let's stick with hot dogs. And people showing up. Maybe there'd be a traffic... Someone said, if Jesus moved in on Bristolwood, he wouldn't be there. Maybe he'd sleep there, but he'd be down at Carriagetown or Eastside Mission. Or maybe he'd be at the jail. What about this? Do you think Jesus would show up at the, at the strip clubs on Dort Highway? I think he would, and I don't think he'd take a, a picket sign. What I think he'd take is a, is a better plan for those ladies that work there and a better plan for the men that frequent there. What would happen if Jesus moved in? If he really moved in? You know what? Full of grace, full of truth. I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm going to be honest with you no matter what. Jesus doesn't need to live on Bristolwood. He's, he's got us. Jesus doesn't need to move in on Walia Drive or Walia Court where I live. He's got, he's got me and Carla and Lisa. He doesn't need to. The Bible tells us that we're his ambassador. That where we go, Jesus goes with us, right? You've got Jesus living in your heart. So that means you can be that person full of grace, full of truth. I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm going to be honest with you no matter what. I remember um, I told this story eight years ago, eight years ago in four months. My third Sunday here, I told this story. So if you can remember way back then, then you'll remember this story because I told it then. I used to remind the pastors, none of the pastors uh, were there except for Pastor Wendy and, and, and Doc. He was there, but he wasn't with us when I shared this story. When I first was pastoring, I was pastoring in Bad Axe, Michigan. I joke about it. You know, I was a Bad Axe pastor for a while. And you have to be careful how you enunciate that. 
Um, so I was pastoring in Bad Axe, and then I was also pastoring the church for about four or five months in Fillion, which is north of Bad Axe. And because they lost their pastor, and uh, it worked out perfect because we had our service first, like our 9.30 service, we had an early service. That's the only reason we had an early service, and not because we needed the space or anything like that, but the, we shared our piano player with the Methodist church, and the Methodists had dibs, so they got her at 11 o'clock, we got her at 9.30 which worked out great because I would preach in Bad Axe and then I'd hop in my car and drive the seven miles up to Fillion and, and speak at Fillion. And in the Church of the Nazarene, if you're unfamiliar with us, um, we have a district assembly. Back in those days, the district assembly was in July. Now it's in April, but then it was in July. And so I had been there um, not quite a year in Bad Axe and I'd been filling in in Fillion not quite two or three months. And I'll be honest, Everything wasn't going great. You know, people weren't flocking from all over Huron County to hear me preach. And our, our first district assembly was in Flint Central. And it was in the old Flint Central building. If you remember that, it was a long sanctuary before it all burned down. And so that was where district assembly was going to be. And so I was going to give, at, back in those days, every pastor had to give a report. And so you'd, every pastor would you'd stand up and you'd go, you know, a minute or two minutes or some of those guys, 10 minutes, whatever, you know. It was a long day. And so things weren't going great and I knew I was going to have to give a report and I really, really wasn't looking forward to it. Not only that, there was a couple from Fillion Church, the delegates from the Fillion Church were, were Grace and Harold. And they said they weren't going to come to district assembly in the big city of Flint unless I drove them. And so I said, all right, I'll drive Grace and Harold. I wasn't looking forward to coming to district assembly. Going to have to give my first report. Wasn't happy about doing that. And now I'm giving Grace and Harold a ride from Fillion down to Flint Central. Which would have been fine if we took our car, but Grace and Harold wanted me to drive their truck because they were going to... <laughs> They were going, I can't imagine this now. They were going to uh, camp out in our parking lot through district assembly in their camper truck. And so, okay, I'll drive your truck. So I drive in Grace and Harold. It wasn't like a, you know, a two-seater. Uh, it was a one-seater uh, truck with the camper in the back. So it was me and Grace and Harold, and we're driving here from Fillion. And Harold's truck, he was a penny pincher, and Harold's truck didn't have a, a gas pedal. He just had the stump where the gas pedal hooks in. And so, and he, of course, this is, you know, we didn't have cruise control. Are you kidding me? And so my foot was jammed into that post from Fillion all the way down to Flint Central. And when, I am serious. When I got here, I could barely walk. I had this big indention in my foot from where the gas pedal was. I get out of the truck, you know, and walk around. And Grace says she's going to make me dinner in the back of the truck, which did not make me happy because, again, penny pinching Grace. Later, I found out she only bought cans that were expired at the grocery store. And so I knew I needed prayer. Um, so me and Harold, while she was frying up the ham and making, I didn't even know they had a can of this. I remember the meal. It was ham and succotash and fried potatoes. I didn't know they had canned succotash, but apparently they do. And so, so Harold and I, while she was frying that up, I didn't want to smell like ham, uh, uh, fried ham at District Assembly. We came over to the church, Flint Central, my first time in the building that I can remember, the long old sanctuary. You could put both the Bad Axe building and the Fillion building in the old sanctuary. And I remember coming in there, me and Harold, no one else was around, not looking forward to giving my pastor's report. 
know, things weren't going, you know, great guns. And Harold looked at me, old Harold, and he said, Rob, God's going to do great things through you. One day you're going to pastor this church. And I looked at Harold like he was from the moon. I said, Harold, I'm never going to pastor this church. He said, yes, you will. God's going to use great things for you. One day you're going to pastor this church. And I really did think he was crazy, but I never forgot that time, that encounter. And, you know, I kind of blew it off. And then, you know, I went in, in 2004, we left Richfield Church and went to Lenexa Central Church of the Nazarene. And I'm thinking, old Harold, he got his central churches mixed up. He got central church right, just not Flint Central. I'm in Lenexa, Kansas Central. And then, of course, eight and a half years ago, we came here. Why do I tell you that story? Harold was speaking full of grace and truth. I didn't know it. He's speaking kind of a prophetic word. We don't often talk about that in our tradition. But in 1 Corinthians 12 and in, and in Romans 12, it gives a list of the gifts of the Spirit. And prophecy is one of them. And I believe that Harold was speaking a prophetic word to me. And here's the deal. If we're Christ's ambassadors on our street, full of grace and truth, I think God will do that through us as well. I read someplace this week where, where 40%, and I don't know where these statistics come from, but that's where it is. 40% of our lives are influenced by prophetic words spoken into us. Not, thus saith the Lord type of prophecy, but just people speaking into our lives. Either negative things, you're no good, you'll never make it, you're terrible, blah, 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 blah. Or positive things. You can make it. You're going to do it. Keep going. Why can't we be those positive Christ influencers on our street, in our neighborhood? Jesus doesn't need to move in on Bristol Wood. He doesn't need to live on, on Walia Court. He's got me and, and Carla there. He's got you on your street. How about this? What if you, after spending time in prayer, of course, just when God speaks to you, you go through this um, four, four letters. Maybe I've said it to you before. It's so important and so true. When you see someone, when you see something positive in them, when God speaks to you through for them, it's I see in you. I see in you great things. I see in you God working. I see in you accomplishing great things. I think God can work through as just as full of darkness. But words into them, it's Jesus speaking into you and, and through you to bless others. Don't you think a different Jesus came? We're called to be like Jesus. That means we too must be full of grace and full of truth. I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm going to be honest with you no matter what.